Then we have something called junctional rhythms. Junctional rhythms, we're not going to learn any because I don't feel like it. They're a much more advanced topic and we just don't have enough time and it doesn't matter for you right now anyway. So just know that they exist and we're not going to do them. Now, the next thing is ventricular rhythms. There's basically two and those are ventricular tachycardia which looks like this. So rather than a sawtooth between QRSs, your QRSs become a sawtooth. Now, if you have four PVCs in a row, what do we call that? A run of VTAC. So you have to have at least four of them in a row before we call it ventricular tachycardia. Now, what's the most important thing to do when you see this? No. Because if you call the doctor, they're going to ask you a question, and you won't have the answer, and you'll look dumb. It's on the slide. Check the pulse. If they have a pulse, don't call the doctor. Call a code. Call a code. That person is dead if they have no pulse. If they have a pulse, what are you going to do? Probably not going to call the doctor. Yet. What do you do? Alright, now, here's the thing. If a person has ventricular tachycardia, what do we say they all lead to? All the, all the dysrhythmias lead to? Lowered heart, cardiac output. This person is going to probably go unconscious or go pulseless because they don't have enough cardiac output. So what you want to do is you want to lie them down where you want them to be in case they go dead or unconscious. If they're, if they're in the chair... If they're in the chair, you might want to think about getting them to the bed, or you might stay in the chair. But if they're standing up or going to the bathroom, you want to get them back in that bed as soon as possible so you don't have to be doing CPR in the bathroom. That would be bad. So first thing is assess the pulse. If there's no pulse, call a code. If there is a pulse, now, if they have a pulse, lie them down. And then we're going to do whatever the doctor's already ordered. Sometimes you'll already have medications ordered, in which case you would administer that medication. Sometimes the VTAC will resolve by itself. What, you're going to do, what do you do if, they, if it resolves by itself? Document it, get an ECG, call the doctor. And sometimes if the, doc, if the doctor's prescribed already has, you know, if they have a run of VTAC, give them this med, go ahead and give them the med before you call the doctor. That makes sense. Okay. Now, the next rhythm is called ventricular fibrillation. And this is what it's characterized by. Kind of like these little hills and valleys that travel up and down. They don't in VTAC, they stay kind of like in an imaginary center. With VFib, they're kind of up and down on that imaginary center. 
Does this person have a pulse? No. What is fibrillation? Show me the fibrillation. So, what's the technical term for someone who has V-fib? Dead. Yeah, they're dead. You call a code. If you see, well, if you see V-fib, the first thing to do is to check the patient, right? We don't just look at monitors. You check the patient, the patient will probably have no pulse and will probably be unresponsive. And what are you going to do? Call a code. All right, that's fun. Now, we're, those, are the, those are the dysrhythmias of impulse formation. We've got them forming. Ectopic beats are just a single beat that happens in the atria or the ventricles. Then we have atrial um, rhythms, which are tachycardia, flutter, and fibrillation. Then we've got the ventricular ones, which are ventricular, <coughs> tachycardia, and fibrillation. Now we're going to go into what's called the blocks. Now the first degree heart block is very simple. It's just a PR interval that's too long. So if you draw your little, um, your little ECG, this distance from the beginning of the P to the beginning of the Q is long. Got it? That's called a first degree AV block. It takes too long to get from the SA node to the AV node. A second degree block is a little, there's two types of second degree blocks and they're named after Dr. Mobitz. There's Mobitz 1 and Mobitz 2. You can think of them as type 1 and type 2. Now, the characteristic of a second degree block is that you will eventually drop a QRS. So, when you look at the rhythm strip, what you're going to see is you'll see a P, a P wave that has no QRS. So in type 1, you're going to start out with kind of a normal PR interval. Then when you get to the next one, it'll be a little bit longer. Then when you get to the next one, it'll be a little bit longer. And then when you get to the next one, you'll have a P and no QRS, and then you'll go back to normal, and it'll repeat itself. That's called type 2, Mobitz 1. Type 2, Mobitz, is when you skip every other beat. You have a P wave with a QRS, a P wave with none. A P wave with a QRS, a, you know, you, so you, what you'll see is you'll see, you'll drop every other QRS. I don't, you don't need to really know the differences between the Mobitzes for me right now. What you do need to know is that type 2 AV block is, or second degree AV block is, a P wave with no QRS. Say it. P wave, no QRS. What's the first degree block? Long PR interval. So type one, or first degree, long PR interval. Second degree, P 
P wave, no QRS. Third degree, no relationship between P waves and QRSs. Now, what you're typically going to see with that is that you'll see P waves do what they call marching through. So P waves happen at exactly the same interval. But QRSs, some of them are over here. Some of them are in the middle of a, Q, of a P. Some of, you know, the QRSs are wherever they feel like they want to be. But the P waves keep doing their own thing. That's the third degree. I can't draw it. My, my skills are not up to drawing a third degree type block. So what are the two characteristics? No relationship between P and Q. And the P waves are consistent. And the word for that is the P waves march through. That's third degree. And it's another name for third degree heart block is complete heart block. And third degree heart block is life threatening. Don't worry about this. Now, Wolf Parkinson White syndrome. The only thing I want you to know about this is the type of heart condition that causes a tachy uh, tachycardic dysrhythmia. A lot of times they treat tachycardic dysrhythmias with beta blockers. If you treat someone who's got Wolf Parkinson White with a beta blocker, you make it worse. So they have to be treated with calcium channel blockers. Now, which calcium channel blockers? We just had this conversation yesterday. Dihydros or non-dihydros? Uh, depenes or not depenes? Not depenes. <laughs> yes, it depends on uh, which way the coin flips. So, verapamil and diltiazem are the two that we could use for Wolf Parkinson White. The non, the non depenes. Tachycardic dysrhythmia. Tachy dysrhythmia. Okay, let's talk about antidysrhythmic therapy because we might be able to get done. Antidysrhythmic therapy. In general, we are treating less and less dysrhythmias with drugs. Part of the reason is because we killed people by accident and we decided to stop doing that. Part of the reason is because we now have implantable defibrillators. So the person goes into a, into a life-threatening dysrhythmia, the little device analyzes their heart rhythm and <coughs> shocks them. Um, patients should probably refrain from driving. And then the other thing is what we call ablation techniques. Ablation techniques are where you go into the heart and you destroy whatever part of the heart's causing the problem with a laser. Or you can cut it out. The lasers are more common. A laser. And so that's called an ablation technique. By the way, ablation is the treatment of choice for the Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome. It will actually cure it. Now there are there are five types of there are five types of antidysrhythmic drugs. 
class one blocks sodium channels. There's only one drug you need to know in this class. All the others we really don't use anymore. And you've already learned about it because we talked about it with anesthetics, it's lidocaine. Number two, our beta blockers. We're not going to talk about them because we've already done them to death. Number three, our potassium channel blockers. The one drug that you really need to know from this class is amiodarone or cordarone. Now, your book, what? Amiodarone. There's slides on them, don't worry. And then the fourth one is calcium channel blockers. The ones that affect the heart, which are they? Verapamil and diltiazem. And then there's some other non-class drugs. And the major non-class drug you need to know is digoxin. See, I told you this would be painful. Painless? Painful, yes. All right. So, um, really ignore this slide. This slide is old because we don't learn those anymore. Lidocaine, that's the one we need to know. Um, there are no anticholinergic side effects, so it does not raise heart rate. Um, it enhances repolarization of the heart. It only works for ventricular dysrhythmias. So when you have that patient who had VTAC or VFib, they may put that patient on a lidocaine drip to prevent them from going back into it. It is the exact same lidocaine. Yeah. It's giving I, It's been being given IV instead of injected into a muscle or jaw. It does work topically, yes. So like when you go to the dentist, how many of you here have a good dentist? So if you, if you get a filling, do they take a little bit of lidocaine and rub it on your cheek before they give you the... Okay. If they don't do that, you don't have a good one. <laughs> no, it doesn't numb the filling. It numbs the, the tissue around... What? It basically numbs the heart. Okay. Back, back up here, back up here, back here, back here. Okay. When you have a ventricular dysrhythmia, basically parts of the heart are becoming irritated and they're striking out on their own. When you give them, when you give them lidocaine IV, that part of the heart goes numb and stops causing problems. That's the essentially how it works. As long as it only lasts as long as you're giving the drip. As soon as you stop giving the drip, within a couple minutes, the effect is already going away. Can cause um, central nervous system toxicity, or central nervous system changes, and if it's toxic, seizures and respiratory arrest. Yeah. Um, beta blockers. There you go. Now remember we said every. Every drug that we use to treat dysrhythmias can cause them. Well, beta blockers can cause heart blocks. What kind of dysrhythmias would we use a beta blocker for? Tachycardic dysrhythmias. So if a patient has a tachycardia, we can use beta blockers to slow the heart rate down. Um, the potassium channel blocker, the one we need to know is amiodarone. It can be given PO or IV. Your book is lies. Now, even though what it tells you is what it's approved for, but in reality, it's used for all kinds of dysrhythmias. But your book says atrial only, but it's not true. 
you need to know what it says right here. Amiodarone is a first line for V-fib maintenance. So basically, the person went into V-fib, we shocked them or defibrillated them, whatever we do, and they're, we made them alive again. Now we're going to give them amiodarone to prevent them from going back. Yeah, don't follow the light. Tell your patients that. <laughs> um, it works against both atrial and ventricular dysrhythmias. The major adverse events are decreased heart rate, it can cause lung damage, and it can also cause visual impairment. Calcium channel blockers, we've already talked about these. So adverse effects, decreased heart rate, AV block again, heart failure, hypotension, and everyone's favorite, constipation. All right, Whew, we're so close. Now, adenosine. Adenosine is used for one thing and one thing only, and that is atrial tachycardia. Now, and it's really only, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, SVT. S stands for supra, V stands for ventricular tachycardia. What does supra mean? Above. above. And what's above the ventricles? The atria. The atria. So it's another way of saying atrial tachycardia. So you'll see that a lot, SVT. SVT, is, you should translate into your head, is atrial tachycardia. Now, it has a super half short life, like 20 seconds. And you give it what we call IV slam. So, so really, you have, the, you have the syringe in your hand, and you go and slam it in. And what the patient will do is the patient will go, oh my, it hurts. And then they'll feel better. And then they go right back into it, so you do it again. It is fun. <laughs> now, so that's adenosine. The only thing we use it for is termination of paroxysmal atrial tachycardia. Then we have digoxin. Now, digoxin is important for dysrhythmias, but also for heart failure. So I'm going to talk about the tiniest bit today, and then next week when we do heart failure, we'll go into more detail. So it decreases conduction through the AV node, it increases vagal tone, and it decreases sinus automaticity. So it's going to slow the heart rate, and it's going to slow conduction. It's going to slow heart rate because it increases vagal tone, and it's going to slow conduction through the AV node. So what kind of dysrhythmias are we going to treat with digoxin? Tachycardia. Now, going back to atrial fibrillation, because we've got to know a little bit more about atrial fibrillation. In AFib, if we cannot keep the person out of AFib, the two drugs that would be given to that patient would be either digoxin or amiodarone. And the reason is to slow the heart rate. Uh, we already talked about supraventricular. What, supraventricular? Digoxin? Oh, all right. Um, Oh, I, I've got it on. I've got it on the slide. So, let me see. How many slides do we have? Yeah, no, yeah. We we only have two. We're the all that was digoxin. That's for next week. All right. Here's an important thing right here. This particular rhythm. You will see this particular rhythm on a test. It's called torsade de point. It means twisting twisting points or something like that. 
And so what you see is big, little, big. Big, little, big. Big, little, big, little, big. And it's life-threatening because it can turn into ventricular tachycardia. And there are quite a few drugs that cause this. In fact, the uh, floxacin drugs have a very slight chance of causing this. One drug was actually taken off the market because it caused it too much. I don't know. I think they're two separate ones. But this is the one that I will show you on a test, and you will see it. Oh, yes. All right, superventricular. Okay, atrial fibrillation. I talked about TEE over the summer and over the spring last year. Um, Anthony actually saw one. What's, what, do we see, what do we use this for? Transesophageal echocardiogram, in case you forgot. What do we use it for? Yes. Why would we do an echocardiogram from the esophagus rather than through the chest? To see the back of the heart. And what's in the back of the heart? Atria. What are we checking the atria for? What are we, che what are we checking the atria for? What's the problem in AFib? Heart, the atria are quivering. What's happening in those atria? Blood is pooling and pooled blood clots. Before we shock this person and get their atria pumping again, we have to check for clots. If they have clots and we shock them anyway, what happens? We probably just killed that patient. So before we can do what we call direct current cardioversion, we must check TEE. If they have clots, we're going to have to anticoagulate them for a while, bring them back, do it again, and then shock them. So you'll probably have a test question or three about that concept. Um, now, we want to control the rhythm. If we, can't, if, we don't, if we cardiovert them and it doesn't work, controlling the rhythm is the next most important thing and anticoagulant drugs to prevent clots from getting thrown and causing pulmonary emboli and strokes. 